The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Every time a missile misses its target, a train derails, or a faulty airbag fails to save a life, we wonder whether these failures, which can sometimes reach catastrophic proportions, are caused by a counterfeit part that may have infiltrated the supply chain. Welcome to People to People, working together for your safety with host Stan Salat. Stan has the answers to your questions on protecting yourself and the safety of your loved ones, including your pets. Don't miss out. Now, here is Stan Salat. Hello and welcome to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is Oil Trains and Public Safety, Putting Citizens' Health and Safety First in Albany County. The show today is about the Albany, uh, Albany rather, uh, County Executive Daniel P. McCoy, who has put the health and public safety of Albany County residents first in what has become a battle over the transportation of crude oil through the county. In January 2014, the CE sent a letter to Governor Andrew Cuomo that the application made at the Port of Albany by Global, uh, by Global to expand uh, operations was not in the best interest of residents. That led to the governor directing five state agencies to investigate um, and public comment periods were extended until last, uh, late last fall. We're going to be talking to uh, Daniel in just a, just a minute or so. I'd like to first, uh, once again, thank our sponsors uh, for helping us make these uh, shows possible. Our platinum sponsors, Business and Quality Process Management, LLC. Find them at bqpm.com. That's www.bqpm.com. They help companies uh, put together their business and quality management systems, providing consulting, training, and software applications. Secure Components, LLC, www.securecomponents.com. Specialize in obsolete and hard-to-find component supply chain management. They're the first companies in the world to receive international certification for their counterfeit detection and mitigation uh, system that they put in place. And they do a lot of work with the uh, U.S. military and other organizations and aircraft um, military uh, supply chains. Brand sponsors, C-Trends Supply Chain Specialist, www.ctrends.com. Concord Components, www.concordcomponents.com. Our special friends down in uh, um, Australia, uh, Brisbane, Australia, the Aircraft Airworthiness and Sustainment Conference folks. Uh, they have a show coming up, or a conference rather, coming up in July. www.agingaircraft.com.au, and that's aging spelled A G E I N G. And last but not least is Lansdale Semiconductor, Inc. 
www.lansdale.com. They specialize in manufacturing obsolete components, uh, electronic components, uh, integrated circuits, uh, having a license to do that and supporting, again, the obsolete world. I want to take just a minute and uh, introduce my guest today, Daniel McCoy. Daniel has a very, very impressive uh, background. I do believe Daniel's online with us here. I am. Thank you for having me on your show. Daniel, we certainly do appreciate it. And before I go too much farther, uh, let me just just kind of share with the audience a little bit. Um, you're the Albany County 4th County Executive sworn in 1112 uh, after serving 12 years as a county legislator. Dan lives in the uh, capital city of Albany where he has worked as a public servant his entire professional career. He was a firefighter and EMT for the Albany County Airport in the city of Albany. Is currently a member of the New York National Guard. We certainly thank you for your service, Daniel. Thank you. And you serve as a uh, Sergeant First Class. Dan was deployed in Iraq in 2005-2006 and aided in the disaster relief following Superstorm Sandy, Hurricane Irene, and Tropical Storm Lee. You uh, you certainly have an impressive background, and you're currently the um, county executive focused on finding creative and innovative ways to improve the delivery of services while streamlining county government. That's not an easy task, I'm sure. It, it is not. It's, um, you know, I kind of joke around with people saying it, it's kind of like a, above our pay grade because, you know, we have so many services we deliver throughout our county. And, uh, you know, this, you know, the thing with becoming the third busiest hub in this nation overnight, not realizing it, no one letting us know that um, we're only second to Oklahoma and Texas, really kind of wow. woke us up to what was going on around here because you would see trains every now and then and you might stop and pull over because, you know, there was something you didn't see every day. Now, not only do you see them every day? They're you know they're blocking up intersections. They go back 120 you know cars to each one they're pulling, and uh, they go on for miles. It is interesting how what was once the the uh, the main thread of the United States in for transportation then kind of diminished and went away, and now it seems to be coming roaring back. So. It is correct. Um, let's, let's dive in here just a little bit, uh, if not a whole lot. Uh, I'd like to, to start by what, asking, you know, what made you decide to take action? These are not easy things to do. Yeah, well, hey, you, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I understand you've put a uh, moratorium in place on expansion of the Port of Albany and essentially take, <laughs> you've essentially taken on big oil. We, we have. Um, it all started back uh, probably a good year and a half ago, back in January, when people noticed that uh, Global was expanding at our, our port here in downtown Albany, and they were putting these boilers in to handle the tar sand oil coming out of Canada. And we all know what happened up in Canada. You know, God forbid, you know, that um, the uh, an accident like that happens in our downtown area. It's going to wipe out our whole capital city in downtown Albany. Right. And you know, again, overnight, no one really realized it was going on, and they had 
kind of had a, a public forum. And at the public forum, they kind of quietly said, hey, by the way, we're putting these boilers in and we're doing this. And I, you know what, I commend the residents and the neighborhood associations because they really stood up and said, not in our backyard and not without our approval. And they really started this fight. But, you know, we're looking at it and, you know, I was going to the meetings with my staff. We were evaluating the situation. But... Everyone said you can't do anything with federal government because it's regulated by the feds. The you know the FRA you know sets the mandates for the railroad, and doesn't matter what the state, county, cities, village, or town say. So I guess being in the fire service and the military, I kind of looked at it a different approach. I said, okay, let's take a step back and reevaluate the situation. Let's look at it differently. So I'm in the room with my attorneys, and they're like, well, we can't do this. I go, no, no, no. We're going to look at our sanitation code, and we're going to look at our health code, and we're going to address it as a health issue, not as, you know, not as a, you know, um, a federal side, which the regs do. It's tough for us to change anything. So that's how we did the moratorium on March 12th of 2014. We basically cited our sanitation code and used the health commissioner's powers, and we cited we're not given a boiler until, all, you know, until a comprehensive study is done. And I authorized the sheriff here locally to do a, you know, to look at this port and say, how do we respond to it? God forbid something happens happens here, are we, one, capable of responding to it? Do we have the personnel? Do we have the equipment? And what's our plan with the residents, uh, not just downtown Albany, but there's a Hudson River that divides us in Rensselaer County. If the winds blow right, it's going to blow over that way. So how do we address these issues? So as we looked at everything, uh, we put this plan together to, to really um, protect the, the people, first and foremost, and then protect the environment. So Global basically said, oh, no, you can't do that, and they do what they typically do. They sent us a letter sometime in that same time frame, I think it was around the 20th of, of March, um, basically, uh, you know, threatening to take legal action against the county, you know. Now, who wants to take on a Fortune 500 company? You know, our <laughs> budget's roughly, <laughs> our budget's roughly like $596 million, but we don't have that kind of money. Right. So, um, you know, that's where we've stand, and, and that's the action that we've taken, which when I've talked to other mayors and supervisors from around the, the state of New York and around this nation, they want to know. I said, look, you need to look at your sanitation code. You need to look at your health commissioner's powers and, and really address this issue differently than we typically go after. If you could, for those of us that are novice in this area, you're speaking of boilers. Um, you know, I'm yep. I'm envisioning big tanks and smokestacks. Is that what we're talking about? Um, not so much like smokestacks, but they're 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 boilers to heat up the crude oil. See these these DOT 111s come in with the with the tar sand oil, and mind you, they're not as ex- explosive as light oil when they're traveling. But where it becomes crucial is when they're heating them up with the uh, elements in the trains to offload the crude oil because they got to make it you know they got to break it down enough so it's not like you know tar, so they can make it a little bit lighter and it goes into the boilers and the boilers keep it heated, so then they can put it back into other rails, or they could go via boat or tractor trailer. And that's when you run into problems. You run into air emission problems, and you run into heating problems, because that's when you can get explosive, and that's when it can blow up the most. Um, and even the uh, NTSB in 1991 wrote a report on, uh, on uh, oil, the DOT-111s and the tar sand. They basically said they can explode just sitting on the track if they get heated up enough. Uh, and that's why sometimes you see these the relief valves pop on these trains, because right. they're so heated inside. And, and people don't realize we're living with danger day in and day out, and it's like we're dancing with the devil and we're waiting for something bad to happen. And I, I assume these train uh, tracks are not, 
you know, out in the country somewhere where there's no residents or, or businesses or somewhat close by. No, correct. I mean, they're right in our downtown Albany, right by our state capitol. It's literally probably a mile and a half from our state capitol building uh, where our governor sits, and these train tracks are right there. And in most cities, they go right through the middle of the town. You know, and uh, even in the rural areas, you know, they go through their, you know, their area, their little town area. And, uh, you know, so it is a hazard that we haven't had to deal with, like you said earlier. Um, It's kind of like, you know, trains are going out with the dinosaurs. Now they're back. And now everything's going by rail. And it's something that we need to address because we didn't have this type of product going through our back door like this. In Albany, you know, we roughly have 16 million uh, gallons of fuel a week coming, coming to our port. Wow. Crude oil coming to our port. Wow. I, I also uh, live and have an office in uh, California, not far from the uh, Richmond refineries. Uh, so I, I truly understand what you're saying. Uh, we've had more than one occasion where something has gone awry at the, at the refinery, and it can be devastating, and particularly for the folks around it, obviously. Um. It seems like it's taken a, a while, uh, but you've had some some victories with new regulations uh, on the federal level and, and the state ramping up uh, inspections. Is this really enough? Well, um, again, I commend our governor um, with our actions here in the county. They put five agencies together to address the issues here, and um, you know, and I also commend Senator Schumer and Gillibrand for what they have done. Uh, but you know, we talk about the DOT 111s, and uh, you look at all this stuff. And what Secretary Fox basically did was with the DOT 111s, he he said it's going to take five years to phase these things out, you know. Um, and you look at the other stuff; it's it's you know, at what point in time do you say enough's enough? And and I look at the neg deck that they took back from the. Uh, you know that they uh, basically the state took the moratorium back for uh, the boilers here at the Port of Albany, which was a great victory for us because that's what we wanted from the beginning, and to do a full EIS, which is an environmental impact study, which we also commend the governor for listening to the people here because over 19,000 people wrote concerns to uh, the state of New York, saying not in our backyard. 19,000 people, and that's why I say to people around this great country of ours, you have to. To speak up, you have to take the time to basically, you know, say, "Hey, look, we don't want it in our yard," uh, and if so, we want to make sure that we're protected. And the other problem was that if you look at the uh, CP or the CPCs, the uh, 1232s, they have right. the uh, light, the light, um, they're like the light non jackets, and they're phasing them out over three years. Everything's over three to five years to phase out. And I said, I rewrote a letter to Secretary Fox saying, "Why do we have to wait three to five years? In certain cases, eight years. We know that this stuff needs to be implemented today. We have the technology. So the Fortune 500 company doesn't make as much profit this year. So they still make a profit, but they're basically investing back in the communities by getting rid of these, you know, the the uh, DOT 111s and the CPCs 1232s. And by doing that and adding the PTC controls to these trains, you'll avert a majority of these accidents that have happened around this country. That seems like uh, the right thing to do and getting getting the uh, decision makers. And obviously, you know, I, one of the things I uh, 
prescribe to with the radio show and and everything we do. There, there's a balance between industry, obviously, and consumers, uh, the residents and the people affected by it. But I often see industry, what I would say, dragging their feet, uh, trying to move much slower, and that uh, creates. Uh, Obviously, a, a lot of angst in some cases, and in this one, it sounds like it's really could impact safety. Well, and, and, and it will. I mean, if you look at the PTC control mechanisms for trains, and you look at getting rid of the you know DOT 111s and the CPC 1232s, if you do that now, I mean, you just had that. I believe it was in Illinois. The accident happened back in March, yeah. and it was a CPC 1232. If I stand corrected, but if you look at that, that accident would have been avoided. Um, if you look at you know um, NTSB's report from '91 and the one they just put out again, basically saying we're going to have this many accidents in the next 10 years. But you can't avoid this by doing this, this, and this. Well, why are we waiting five to eight years? And that's what bothers me. Invest the money now. And look, we're all for And you won't find a politician anywhere in this country that will say they're not for economic development and creating job opportunities and having companies expand in, in their county. Right. Right. But we want to do it where we protect the people that are living there for their quality of life, for their families. And we also want to make sure we protect the environment. Well, right. You know, we want people to expand, but a lot of companies just want to come in. They want to expand. They don't care about the environment, a lot of them. And they just want to come in and say, okay, well, we're going to create 150 jobs, or we're going to create this. Well, what's the impact it's going to have down the road? And we need to look at that. But, I, you know, I've been criticized about global. Dan- Daniel, I need to interrupt you for just a minute. I'm getting yep. a flag here that we need to take a, a short break for uh, radio station identification. If you'll hold that thought, we'll come right back to it. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Secure Components is proud to be the first independent distributor certified to the Department of Defense adopted AS6081 counterfeit avoidance standard. Our clients view us as partners in counterfeit avoidance because we share our source of supply. We have earned their trust to procure electronic and mechanical components specifically when their requirements are obsolete or unavailable from authorized sources. Visit SecureComponents.com today to learn why the largest aerospace defense and technology companies in the world partner with Secure Components. Does your company support U.S. government contracts? What have you done since May of 2014 to comply with the Department of Defense's DFARS requirements? These rules have changed the way all members of the supply chain procure electronic components and conduct business. Failure to comply can subject your organization to unquantifiable legal and financial liability. Visit SecureComponents.com to learn how the first AS6081 certified company leverages this new standard to support your need for obsolete electronics. AOG, line down, current supplier cannot deliver? Then call Secure Components. We specialize in sourcing hard-to-find and highly allocated electronic components, hardware, and military aerospace parts. We can locate and test your items to ensure you're getting authentic parts every time, and we can deliver when you need them. Our supply chain management consists of decades of experience and works with trusted sources to locate your products when you need them most. Go to SecureComponents.com and tell us what you need today. News. 
Opinion. 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 Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. This is People to People, working together for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to Stan at stansalot.com. Again, that's Stan at stansalot.com. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salot. Our show today is Oil Trains and Public Safety. We've been uh, talking with uh, Daniel McCoy, CE in Albany, Albany County, and uh, we're talking about the trains that uh, rumble through his area of um, uh, residence, as well as the folks that he supports there. Albany County Executive Daniel P. McCoy has put the health and public safety of Albany County residents first in what has become a battle over the transportation of crude oil through the county. In January of 2014, uh, the CE sent a letter to Governor Andrew Cuomo, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, that the application made at the Port of Albany by Global to expand operations was not in the best interest of the residents. That led to the governor directing five state agencies to investigate and uh, provide public comment periods, uh, provided uh, public comment periods were, ex- were extended until uh, late last fall. Daniel's been sharing with us uh, some of the important uh, aspects of this and the work he has done. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Uh, we we cut you off there just a bit. We were talking about uh, let's see, help me back into this. We were we were talking about some of the uh, stuff you've been doing there. Yeah, we're you know um, one of the things that uh, I, I like to bring up. People talk about economic development. They talk about job creations, taxes for the county that's being created by all this. And you would think with the 16 million gallons of crude oil coming through our backyard every week, um, you know, you would think there would be all that. And I tell people, look at the Port of Albany. Our ta- we're not getting any more taxes. We didn't create any more jobs, but we're taking all the risk. And and even if we were making more money and creating jobs. I got to tell you, I don't think I'd want it. Uh, I would tell them, thank you, but no thank you. We'll we'll expand other ways because we want to protect our people and we want to protect the environment. So, you know, it's not creating all this revenue people say it is. You know, it's creating revenue for global, but not, not here in Albany County. So... You have to evaluate that. But the other thing that's disturbing, when Secretary Fox put out his uh, letter, when we wrote letters uh, a while ago, saying what we need for protection, slowing the trains down when they come into town, cities, or villages, you know, he came out with his recommendations. And we're like, this is going to be good. It's going to be good for us. No, it's only good if you live in New York City or if you live in Buffalo, Erie County, um, because he said, uh, you know, basically, these are the high-threat urban areas. Well, what about, you know, the city? Albany that has population of roughly 100,000 residents during the day, you know, 
um, that live here, but we're the state capital, so we balloon up to over 200,000 people a given any day that are in downtown Albany working and making a living. So I go, isn't that worth protecting too? And then even the little village that this train goes through, and there might only be 150 people that live in that village or 500 or 1,000, aren't they considered, you know, just as valuable as a person living in New York City or living out in Buffalo? And, you know, so we wrote another letter to Secretary Fox saying, please reconsider these regs and make it effective around the whole state of New York, not just in the two areas that you identified. Yes, yes. That, uh, you, you have to wonder at times how folks that make these decisions actually are thinking. I, I, another, it's it's, it's another, amazing because a lot of people have said to me, "Don't take on you know the you know CSX or Canadian Pacific or Global. You're not going to get anywhere." And as a matter of fact, one of the gentlemen, I'll say gentlemen, I'll be nice on your show, <laughs> nicknamed me Tiger, and he goes, "Come on, Tiger, jump up and down all you want. Only the federal government can regulate us. Only the federal government can can tell us what we're going to do. So you can cry all you want, keep jumping and jumping and, and having your press conferences because it's not going to make." a difference. So I said, oh, okay, you got it. And uh, what we did here locally was also I worked with our district attorney and sheriff, and we're we're still trying to change it, where you have to have an hour to notify of a spill um, of anything uh, to the state of New York. We also want to be notified. And then we said, you know what, if we don't, because they weren't notifying us, they were having these spills and they were just not telling us. They were cleaning them up, trying to hide them. So we said, okay, if you don't notify us an hour, we're going to go not just for a fine, because here's a Fortune 5 company. Right, what's a $5,000 fine if they don't respond? A lunch yeah. for them? It's... You know, let's face it, 5000 10000 a, a, a drop in a bucket. To you and right. I, it means a lot. To them, it doesn't. So I said, forget the fine. Let's go for jail time for that person. Let's put that person in jail, because now they're like, oh, you're going to throw me in jail? Well, if you don't report it, yes, we are going to throw you in jail, because we want to know when a spill happens. And I go, if a spill happens, I go, why do you tell us afterwards and say, oh, the containment worked, everything was fine? And I go, if everything worked and everything was fine, I would love to have the media down there taking pictures going, look, everything worked the way it was supposed to. Nothing got into the environment. Everything was captured in, a, in, a, in our, 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 our systems. Isn't this great? But they don't. Yeah. Positive publicity is extremely effective if it's positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. The negative side uh, it happens to be the the rule, not the exception, because all too often things aren't working the way that they uh, that they really should be. And, uh, and as you're pointing out, uh, the easiest thing is uh, not to tell somebody what's going on. Listen, given given your background as a firefighter, a veteran, a father, what? kinds of challenges do your communities face in responding to any crude oil incidents? I mean, this, this is a big thing. You've got trains coming through. You've got all of this going on. If I understand what you're saying, they're talking about adding jobs. Are they, are they actually helping to fund the fire departments? Are they putting fire departments where there aren't fire departments in these smaller communities? Is, is that part of what they're doing? Absolutely not. You know, here here's the problem. They talk a good game. They bring this train simulator around, and they have the local uh, volunteer and paid departments because Albany County is made up of. Uh 
partially paid and predominantly volunteer. And, right. uh, you know, so you, you know, you have two courses of actions here. You have the volunteer department that these little towns or villages really don't have the time um, or money to really train properly or get the right equipment if, God forbid, something happens like that in their backyard. Uh, the city of Albany's fire department, which I was part of, is the same way. You know, it's money's tight. So you don't have time to say, well, we have to buy all this beautiful equipment and we have to train on this and pay all this overtime. So God forbid if something happens, we're prepared. So they bring this train simulator in around the state, the state of New, around this nation, and all the politicians go down, different people, and they take a photo op and they look, oh, look, this is great. But is it really effective? You know, and, and I'm saying you want to be a good partner, roll up your sleeves, pay for equipment in these towns and villages across this great nation, pay for these personnel to be trained so they can handle this, and uh, then and invest money back. And here's what's bothersome. Uh, the state of New York gave money to the Port of Albany to expand down there. Uh, the federal government gives them money to move rail or enhance rail, rails around, you know, around communities. But they don't give us money for fire protection to protect the people. So the company that's making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in profit, if not billions, is getting federal dollars, state dollars, and the town, cities, and villages that are dealing with these issues are getting nothing. And we're the ones, the taxpayers are the ones that have to pay for this stuff. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling at times. It, 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 it really is because if we're truly there to protect the people, then give us the resources. And, you know, I, I testified at the Senate, um, you know, and I, again, applaud the governor, Governor Cuomo here, uh, for putting funds to the side. But I go, we need $2 billion set to the side. Um, and it seems like a big number, but it really isn't. If you look at, what, you know, the accident, and they're still cleaning up in Canada, uh, you know, they're at a $1 billion just for cleanup. $1 billion for cleanup. That's not including the, the 47 lives. That's not including rebuilding the town. This is just clean. Up. And uh, and it brings me to the the other thing that we're doing. We're having um, kind of speak of a crude oil summit here in uh, Albany County, and I, I have the chief from uh, you know from Canada that had to deal with this accident, and we got chiefs and first responders from uh, Virginia and other areas that have dealt with this type of stuff to talk to to us about how we can be prepared, how how we can sit there and say the pros and cons, the things that worked for them, and the things that lessons learned. Um, and what they needed, meaning personnel, equipment, ha- notification, mutual aid. So they're really going to come in and tell us the story. So if something happens here in the county, we're prepared. But I always tell everybody, they're like, well, when are you going to stop? I go, I'm never going to stop because I don't want to go to bed at night and sit there and go, I could have, should have, would have, or if something, a disaster like that happens here. And eventually, because we're the third busiest hub, it's probably going to happen here. I don't want to be able to look at people saying, I did everything in my power of my office and above that to protect you. And even then, it's not going to feel right. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you, you know, after the fact cleanup is, is just that. It's after the fact cleanup. Right. We, we, we tend to be um, reactive, and Sheriff Apple and myself are trying to be proactive. And we're, we're sitting there saying, no, we're going we're, we're gonna to pull that tree out, we're going to dust the roots off, and we're going to replant it, and we're going to 
that no stone's going to be unturned because we want to make sure that we are doing everything here in this county. You know, unfortunately, you know, I've, I've talked to people around this great state of ours, around this nation, internationally, and they're like, what are you doing? You know, they're looking at what we're doing here. And I'm like, well, if we all band together and we say enough's enough, then I think they'll move quicker. And I think that's the message that Secretary Fox and the president and everyone needs to say, look, you know, let's implement this today. This is a great nation. We can build these new, safer trains tomorrow and have them implemented within months, not years, and have all these controls put in place if we say we really, truly want to protect the people. Yes. You know, we we as radio talk show hosts and, and radio, uh, TV, likewise, uh, anything in the media world, uh, often ac- accused of trying to instill fear, uh, drive the issues by trying to scare people. Is there a fine line between the reality of being prepared and really instilling fear in people? And with that, what's the balance for you as as a county leader? You know, it, it's it's really been a hard uh, line to follow because um, we've had press conferences at this apartment complex, um, apprentice homes in downtown Albany next to the, the rail. And literally at someone's front door, it's 15 feet, you can touch one of these DOT 111s oh, wow. that are there seven days a week that are there, you know, in the heat of the summers and all winter long. And in the summertime, you can't even be outside because of the smell from everything. And we did a uh, news conference there, and a little kid was playing, going to play basketball, had to be about six years old, and you could just see the look on his face. And we were gagging from, from all the smell down there. And I go, and we're only there for, what, 15, 20 minutes? And then we leave. And I said, they shouldn't live here. Look at this kid. And even the media grabbed it. Now, I was talking from my heart right. and it started a reaction because um housing got upset that i'm trying to say that you know you know they, the people shouldn't be living there and and it, people said i was trying to scare a community i go i'm not scaring anybody go live there i said go live in that apartment and you tell me how you feel all night long that in the winter time you can't open up your windows because it's too cold in the summer when you want to open up your windows you can't because of the smell and then looking out your window you're looking at these trains you know, you tell me how you feel going to bed, uh, you know, down there. And I go, they should have given the opportunity to move out. And people, you know, and that's why it gets to the heart of your question. At what point do you, you know, people say whatever you do, and that's a tactic by the railroads and global. They sit there and go, I'm just trying to scare people, and they want to work with people. No, why are these housing projects along these, I want to say, less than desirable places where people should be living? Why do we build them there? We shouldn't ever build them there, and we should relocate them. Um, if they want to be moved, if they want to live there, that's their call. Uh, you know, but the reality is there's a point that you have to install in people and say, look, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't look into the future. We don't know if an accident's ever going to happen here. We don't know. But if it is, we want to make sure we're prepared. And the only way we can do that is bringing light to the subject and through shows like this and letting people know, yes, there is, you know, because look, we're all busy now. Most people work two jobs. Everyone's trying to make, you know, ends meet. They don't really, you know, they're not paying attention to this because they got enough life problems. And But when you shine the light on it, they should be paying attention because this is about their safety and health, and this is about the, the environment. And if they're not paying attention, this is going to continue to some accident happens here, and then we're addressing it that way. 
It, it strikes it strikes me. Uh, well, I assumed that the uh, the toxic fumes that that might be coming from these tankers would be there. Uh, I also assumed that they were somewhat sealed and the area was being monitored regularly. Uh, hazardous substance, uh, hazardous substance, and the management of that's something I've been doing in. Uh, for the last 10, 12 years now, on a global basis, I work closely with uh, folks in, in Taiwan and China, throughout Asia, as well as other parts of the world. And, and your comments about living next to the or, order, orders um, it strikes me that that's not just bad smell. That's, just, that's not just bad living conditions. That's potentially toxic fumes being absorbed by the residents and passing on to generations of families. Listen, before before we respond, before I let you respond to that, we need to take a short break for radio station identification. When we come back, I, I would like to expand on that just a little if you're comfortable. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, we'll be right back, folks. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Secure Components is proud to be the first independent distributor certified to the Department of Defense adopted AS6081 counterfeit avoidance standard. Our clients view us as partners in counterfeit avoidance because we share our source of supply. We have earned their trust to procure electronic and mechanical components specifically when their requirements are obsolete or unavailable from authorized sources. Visit SecureComponents.com today to learn why the largest aerospace, defense, and technology companies in the world partner with Secure Components. The world has changed. You need a trusted supplier that mitigates risk at every stage of manufacturing. C-Trends utilizes provenance marking technologies to provide a unique security solution when addressing the challenges of supply chain security. Item pedigree, brand protection, and theft. In these times of fraud and counterfeiting, customers depend on C-Trends for a higher level of trust and service when it comes to their supply chain needs. Visit our website at ctrends.com for more information. Aging Aircraft Australia is a non-profit organization engaged in collaborative responses to sustainment challenges in Australia's fleets, challenges often shared with its U.S. allies. Aging Aircraft Australia runs the annual Aircraft Airworthiness and Sustainment Australia Conference, including its ongoing counterfeit avoidance campaign. More information can be found at www.agingaircraft.com.au forward slash AASC. That's aging with an E. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is People to People, working together for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan at stansalot.com. Again, that's stan at stansalot.com. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is all about oil trains and public safety. 
putting citizens' health and safety first in Albany uh, County. My guest, Daniel McCoy, uh, the uh, county executive in the Albany County. Uh, we've been talking about the um, the issues of oil trains going through Albany County, what the effects of that have been. And I want to jump right back in here. Uh, we're coming up, Daniel, on the uh, last 10 minutes or so of the show. And, I, and uh, you know, you, you've struck a, a serious chord with me personally because, as I've shared with you, uh, a lot of my work over the last 10 years has been in the hazardous substance uh, safe uh, management, if you will, although primarily in the past with electronic industry, uh, we've created a coalition now called Hazardous Substance Safe as well as a uh, counterfeit, avoid counterfeit uh, coalition to try and mitigate, uh, detect and mitigate hazardous substances and uh, consumer products. And it strikes me, uh, just before the break, I, I was talking about, or you were actually talking about the living conditions, living next to the the smell that comes from these trains and during the break there, I was asking you if uh, if there was a, a hazardous uh, aspect of those smells. Um, I'm going to let you take it over for a minute and perhaps talk a little bit about that. We have done some air monitoring, so has DEC here locally. But I said not just test the air down around these homes and around the port. We should be doing it in the upper parts of the city and look at the different data. You know, what are people breathing on the other side of town versus what you're breathing every day? And, you know, it reminds me, I was watching a video, and they go, when they had that accident um, in Virginia, then when the train went into the James River and they exploded, and they're like, no one got hurt, right? No one did. But... There was a gentleman on a rooftop watching this as a bank of smoke's coming, and people were talking about feeling the radiant heat and the smoke, uh, breathing it in miles away. What did that gentleman breathe in that day, standing on that rooftop watching it? And that's the data that you need for the future, because if these people come down with cancer, respiratory problems, uh, bronchitis, whatever it may be, it could contribute to what they inhaled that day. And, and, you know, it brings to light my hat when I was a firefighter. Most firefighters survive fires today. It's down the road we end up with cancer, high risk of firefighters right. getting cancer, because it's the stuff we breathe in after we're doing the overhaul of the fire that we put out. It's the, you know, the toxics in the air, and people don't realize that. Or we're touching it, and it's getting through our skin because you're moving stuff around. That's why I'm trying to bring light to people, saying, look, just be because it's down there and just, you know, I'm not trying to scare them. I'm saying there's a thing. We brought this Dr. Carpenter in from UAlbany um, who talked about all this, who was an expert in this. And I got to tell you, by the time he got done talking, I wanted to put a bubble around me um, because he scared the hell out of me. And I thought I heard it all. And, you know, but he brought to light a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about. But mainly, um, I belong to County Executives of America. I'm the vice president for the East Coast, but I was down in New Orleans last July. And we talked a little about the crude oil to other county executives, um, you know, about what's going, what we're doing here in Albany. But one of the things that I learned when I was down there with BP and their cleanup, they used a the chemical 
that irritated people's skins where they end up with these rashes over thousands of people um, right. from this chemical. But no one's admitting to anything because no one wants to deal with the health issue. And then how do you prove that you got sick because of the fumes you're breathing in or the chemicals you, you got introduced to? You know, then you talk to long legal battle. Um, we're not even looking at that. I hope someone's looking at that for a future saying, you know, uh, well, this community had no cancer. Now it has cancer. This community didn't have this. Now all of a sudden you have high-risk uh, births. Um, you know, these are things that we need to, someone needs to be setting money aside to study. That's not even touching on the crude oil and everything else. It's that type of effect. And, again, we're not trying to scare people. We're trying to protect people, and we're trying to protect the environment. And the only way we can do this is by breaking this topic out up and making people realize it's there, and we have to protect you. Yeah, that was your, your comment about Dr. Carpenter, uh, just to, to uh, plug here just a little bit. Um, I've started working with uh, Dr. Sean Carpenter out of uh, Covington, Louisiana, just outside of New Orleans, and we will yep. be starting to do a, a monthly show with Dr. Carpenter on uh, toxicity in the human body and the effects of uh, the environment around us and how that does affect the human body. So uh, perhaps uh, going forward, we might uh, join hands again here and uh, and address it from that standpoint, but yeah, it, it to me and all the work I've done, the whole issue of the fumes that uh, that do come from a lot of different things. In this case, we're talking about the uh, oil trains, but um, a lot of things in the environment. Uh, we just do not seem to be paying attention to what it does to the human and how that affects us over time and our the generations to follow us. Correct. So, and we really um, need to look at stuff like that. Yes. Um, I understand you're hosting a summit that is getting national attention. Uh, it's uh, due uh, – why, why don't you talk a little bit about it? I think it's June we're, 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 we're doing a forum at the College of St. Rose here in Albany on Monday, June 8th from uh, 9, 9 a.m. to 10 – and uh, excuse me, 9 a.m. to 1. And we're basically – we brought experts in from all over, from Canada, from uh, Virginia, you know, and uh, from uh, Illinois. And they're going to be talking about, and uh, actually from Maine too, and they're going to be talking about what what happened when they responded, were they adequate, prepared, um, and some of the problems they're running into to now. Because, you know, you look at Canada, and the fire chief from Canada is really going to have a lot to talk about because all these companies went bankrupt the next day, and they went out of business. So who's paying for all this? You know, and that becomes a legal battle. And as people are battling this, the legal cost, or who's paying for it, someone has to get it done. You can't sit there and argue for years who's going to pay for it. So he's going to talk about that aspect, um, some of the mistakes they might have made, some of the lessons learned, which is really going to help myself and Sheriff Apple to come up with a full comprehensive plan of how do we handle this. And, uh, you know, why try to reinvent the wheel? Let's take from lessons learned. Let's take from their mistakes and the good things that they've done and really make it work here. So if something like that happens here, we're prepared. But are we going to be willing to invest that kind of money to make sure we're prepared? And, and you know, as county executive, it's tough 
when I'm trying to deliver budgets that are underneath the cap, not raise taxes, and trying to be creative. And the same thing for the city of Albany, Mayor Sheen. How do you do this? You know, and it's it's a tough reality of the world that we're in, but we have an obligation to protect the people that we're in charge of. Yeah, it strikes me. How do you how do you plan for the potential disaster that is undetectable until it happens and things we don't know. And I keep coming back to the human side of this. Uh, If the building blows up, God forbid that to happen, but if the building blows up, you can build a building. Correct. If, If the people in the area are affected by chemical fumes and absorption through the skin of chemistry, uh, you may not see that for half a generation. I, and that's, that's what really, you know, I, I wonder at times if that's really being heard when folks like yourself are, are trying to uh, help communities change. Well, that's, you know, and that's the thing. That's why I say to the people that I represent in Normandy County and, and everyone that, that listens um, to your, sta- your radio station that you have to speak up. You have to sign petitions. You have to let your representatives know that you're not going to sit there quietly and that you want answers and you want answers down the road or after an accident. You want them now. You want to be prepared. You know, and the only way we're going to do this is if people keep the pressure on everybody, like Secretary Fox and the federal government and the FRA, which is the Federal uh, Rail Administration, to make serious changes, not not kicking a can down the road and saying, oh, eight years we're going to do this. Well, governments change. Congress change. Senate changes. That means new lawmakers come in. They might say, no, we like that. We're not going to change that. So let's change it now. If you're truly committed to this, let's do it now. And, and you know, if I'm global or CSX or Canadian Pacific, I'm going to say, look, you know what? Let's be a good neighbor. Let's be a good partner. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's work with the community. You know, and I know they have an obligation to their, their shareholders, but I have an obligation to the people, my constituents I represent. And you know what? If you don't make as much money uh, in one year, it's not like you're losing money. Isn't it good to put back into the safety of community saying we want to be a partner? We just don't want to pass through your neighborhoods. We want to let you know that we care. And one of the things we're calling on is that the um, federal government right now, if a train passes through our community and it's hauling some type of hazardous material um, under the EPA, they have to notify when they get to their destination. But here, with with crude oil, with light oil and tar sand oil, they don't have to. You have to. You have to call them. Well, who has time to pick up the phone every day? Oh, what's going through? Uh, what's going through Manans? What's going through Selkirk? What's going through Albany? And then saying okay, and then making sure it gets there safe. And I said, you know, one of the things we're working with Senator Schumer, and I'm hoping he's going to introduce on a federal side is that basically they have to call us and let us know what's going through our backyard and let us know when it gets safely to its destination. It's not a big, it's not a big, uh, you know, ask. It's basically saying, you know what, we're going to be a good neighbor. We're going to let you know. We're going to let you know what's going through. And then it was just like in, uh, I think it was South Dakota or North Dakota, North Dakota that changed the PSI, uh, the tar sand oil, you know, which takes down it from exploding. But I go in the uh, Federal uh, Railroad Administration, compliment them, and they let them set, they let the railroad set their own standard. But I simply said one thing, look what happened in Canada. That PSI was less than what you just lowered it to, and it still blew up. So is that really going to make a difference? And the answer is no. 
yeah. you know. And but it's feel good. It's like, oh, look what we did. Well, why are we letting the railroads set their own standards up? We, as a federal government, or the people of this great state, um, this great nation, should be telling them what the standards are. This this sounds like a fantastic opportunity for the for all ages to take advantage of social media and uh, go out back and start posting. Perhaps one of the ways to do this, uh, just speaking out loud here on the radio, uh, start an app that says every time a train goes by, post it to to a uh, social media account. And at you know, least start teaching, you know, helping the community know where where they're coming from and where they're going. I got to tell you, it brings up another great topic because remember when I don't know about elsewhere, but the state of New York, Homeland Security was talking about not notifying what's going through, what material they're carrying because the railroads were saying or global was saying, oh, oh yes. uh, a terrorist attack could happen. I'm like, you can sit on anyone's backyard and look at the train placards and what's going through. They know what's going through their backyard because right. they see it every day. And I'm like, you know, you're not hiding anything. Anyone could sit anywhere across this nation and see what's being hauled all through their backyard. So I go, that's just another excuse to show that, you know, they truly don't want to be a partner. If you want to be a partner, then help us. Help us be good neighbors and sit down with us. And, you know, we can agree to disagree, but you have to have dialogue to move forward. Yeah, I guess that also raises the question, do you you solve the Homeland Security uh, concerns by hiding everything, or do you make it so visible that it's it's extremely difficult for anybody to do something without being recognized and, and seen. I have to agree with your second statement because, you know, Hyden, you know, we're supposed to be transparent. We're supposed to be open government. And right. uh, you can't, you know, we can't change the way we live, our quality of life, um, because of terrorists, you know. And yeah. uh, I think it's a cop-out. You know, this is what this country is so great, and this is what I love about this country, because we are a country of foreigners in different cultures. And you can't change that because you're afraid that someone's going to do something. If you start doing that, you might as well just close up our borders and uh, call it a day. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I, I'm extremely pleased to have had you on the show today. Hopefully there's uh, folks listening to this and we can uh, share the knowledge and, and help you with uh, your mission there. And we are uh, at that point of the show where I'm unfortunately needing to say uh, my thank yous and goodbyes. Uh, perhaps we can get you to come back after the 8th and uh, give us an update. I would love to. Just let me know when. Thank you for having me on your show, and and thank you for making people aware of this issue that's really people, you know, it's like infrastructure. No one really wants to hear about it until something happens. Right. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Daniel, and we look forward to uh, bringing you back and uh, getting an update from you. Thank you. People to People, working together for your safety is dedicated to bringing people together to share knowledge and create a safer environment for us all. If you have a question, agree, or disagree with the information we are sharing, please send me an email with your comments or questions. You can send it to Stan at stansalot.com. You can also find me on Twitter at stansalotjr, that's stansalotjr, as well at uh, on the website stansalot.com. You'll find our Facebook and LinkedIn uh, social media accounts as well. 
Today's show is brought to you by our platinum sponsors, without whom would, it just wouldn't be possible. Business and Quality Process Management, LLC, www.bqpm.com. Secure Components, LLC, uh, you can find them at www.securecomponents.com. Our bronze sponsors include C-Trends Supply Chain Specialist, www.ctrends.com. Concord Components, www.concordcomponents.com. Our good friends in Australia, Aircraft Airworthiness and Sustainment Conference. Uh, that is a conference coming up July 21 through 23. Uh, by all means, check that out. And Lansdale Semiconductor. Uh, they're at www.lansdale.com. I'd like to take a minute and... Uh, Recognize our supporting staff from Voice America, Brandy Jackson, General Manager Robert Cellino, Executive Producer Randy Jackman, our Production Manager, and Jeffrey Gerstel, Director of Host Services. From People to People and those who I could not do this without, Christina Clark, People to People Administration Coordinator, Yulia Coach, Branding and People to People Production Manager. Thank you for joining me on People to People, working together for your safety. Remember, change only happens when people come together and work together. Your help in the fight against the proliferation of hazardous substances and counterfeiting of consumer products could save a life. Until next week, I'm your host, Stan Salat, wishing you a safe and healthy life. Thank you for listening. Please join host Stan Salat for next week's edition of People to People, working together for your safety. We'll have another show next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a safe, toxic, and counterfeit-free week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.